This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, that is Jack Foster. Joined to my left, that is Ryan Shumpert. First and foremost, welcome back. We missed you at the oh, game thanks. last week. Man, 38-10, to 10, Georgia defeats Tennessee right here in Knoxville. Once again, we are sitting in the box. We are overlooking an empty field as Tennessee moves to 7-4 and four on the season, 3-4 and four in SEC play. Guys, I'll go ahead and just open up the floor. What do we think of this game? Uh, a complete beatdown, and outside of one play, Tennessee could barely do anything. They had the nine-play drive that got them the field goal right before half, but then it was nothing in the second half. Had the short field with the with the fumble that Georgia had. Ultimately, weren't able to put any points on the board as went forward on fourth and goal, didn't get it. But yeah, outside of the opening play from scrimmage, the 75-yarder from Jalen Wright, Tennessee did nothing offensively, and Georgia just dominated this game in every facet. Yeah, 100%. It, everything that I think you kind of worried about, we talked about on Thursday of you know how the on-the-field matchup does not look good for Tennessee in this game. All those things came to fruition. Tennessee could not sustain long drives. They just had two drives the whole, whole game that they got more than one first down on. Yeah, think about that. That's crazy, especially That's for wild. an offense. And Josh Heupel's that is predicated on getting a first down or two and being able to play with tempo. They weren't able to do that. They... They don't have the receivers to win one-on-one matchups deep uh, against Georgia. We saw that. They got the one-chunk play, obviously, on the run. And then on the other side, Georgia was able to really dice them up through the air. Carson Beck was, I thought, really impressive. Uh, Tennessee's pass defense issues continued. And just kind of like we expected, it was a lot of the same things that Missouri did where Georgia just was never really in third and long. They stayed in favorable positions on the sticks. They picked up a lot of third downs, um, and they were – you know, a couple of chunk plays here and there, but pretty, you know, just methodically able to move the ball down the down the field, and it, it just didn't feel like Tennessee really had any answers for that. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, as Jack kind of alluded to at the beginning, Jalen Wright takes that big play, 75 yards up the middle. He dashes through the Georgia defense, outruns the entire Georgia secondary, makes it into the end zone. I don't know about you guys, but for me that was a, okay, I did not expect that. I a didn't necessarily center. see yeah. that coming. How can Tennessee build off of it? And I think that was kind of one of those keys where, you know, Ryan, you talked about it in your three keys to victory. One of them, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the points was get a touchdown first. Like Jack said, set the tone. The only issue was that Tennessee came back the next two drives, went three and out for seven yards each. We're not able to capitalize that. And meantime, Georgia was just moving the ball down the field. Now, I know they had a, a field goal on maybe, what, that second or that first possession of the game. But they were still moving the ball down the field very well, and they continued to do that throughout the game. And that, to me, that was just, uh, uh, you know, that's obviously the kind of the way the first quarter went. Yeah, I would say on the offense, you know, the key, two of my keys were, you know, find a way to get some explosive plays because I thought it would be hard for Tennessee to sustain drives. And then, like you said, they needed to have an opening drive touchdown. Well, the thing about the opening drive touchdown, what I was important is because, you know, those are your scripted plays. And that's what even as bad as Tennessee's offense has been this year. It's now, I think, eight of 11 games they scored touchdowns under opening drive. Well, when you score a touchdown on the first play, it's like, okay, well, you scored on your first drive, and you still have your whole script. You didn't have to use any of it. I mean, yeah. you ran your first play. Whatever else you had scripted, you know, 15 plays isn't a number. I don't, that's kind of arbitrary. I don't know if that's right. You still had those. And to your point, Tennessee did not capitalize three and out the next two drives. And on the other side, you talk about that first drive. 
Georgia just gets a field goal. Well, Georgia just got a field goal because Carson Beck fumbled an exchange yeah. with the running back, and they lost eight yards on first down. When Tennessee stopped Georgia, it was more about Georgia stopping themselves. I yeah. thought this whole entire game. Same thing happened on the one three and out. Tennessee forced the whole game uh, on the opening drive of the second half. Georgia tied in, drops wide open pass. You know, they would have easily gotten the first down and more. So it didn't feel like Tennessee ever did anything defensively. I know it's kind of bouncing around subjects, but Tennessee didn't do ever anything defensively that ever put Georgia on their heels in this game. I mean, Tennessee was able to slow down Georgia's run game to a decent level, but didn't create a lot of negative plays. Obviously, the one turnover gets called back for defensive holding, um, and you know, obviously that could change the dynamics a little bit, but it, Georgia, it just felt like was in complete control of the game, even when Tennessee got up 7-0. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they just had an answer for everything. They're just simply so much better on the field. Like They're yeah. faster. They, they just find a way to get open. Plays are able to develop because Tennessee's pass rush wasn't able to affect Carson Beck like they wanted to. But, yeah, man. And Carson Beck, he was the best player on the field tonight probably. Dude is was surgical tonight. He's great. He's, he's very good. Um, a lot better than I thought. You know, I think he's been underrated all year, but tonight – it was a master class from him, really. Yeah, he was he was really good. Again, just a, a guy that felt like he was in complete control of the game. I thought he – there were a number of throws. Like, I, I felt like last week in a lot of the Kentucky – a lot of since Tennessee hasn't had Kamal Haddon, their past Stevens issues when they're running zone, it's just so easy. It's so wide open. It's not like every throw was super hard, but I thought, you know, Beck made a number of layered throws against zone between the second and third level that were not easy throws. I mean, they weren't yeah. like – Wow, that's an unbelievable throw! But sure. and he, the fact that he was the way he was able to do that, I guess, at a consistent level uh, to make the the throws that certainly are not a given. And I mean, you kind of see it from Tennessee's side of it. Obviously, Georgia runs all man defense, but you know, a lot of throws that Tennessee could not make in the intermediate of the field with touch. Uh, Carson Peck made a lot of them. Guys, one of the other big storylines coming out of this game and kind of a continuation from last week's game against Missouri were third downs. I'll go to Georgia first. Georgia third down conversions today, 9 for 13. Tennessee third down conversions today, 2 for 11. I think starting on the defensive side, maybe to a lesser extent than you had against Missouri because like you guys were alluding to, this is just a really good Georgia team and it's difficult to get them off the field. But Tennessee had a difficult time taking them off the field on third down. Obviously, you, you complete nine of those. Uh, but then on the other side of things, Tennessee just could not sustain drives. And I think, Ryan, that kind of goes back to your point from earlier. When they did get a third down, and there were plenty. I, maybe I shouldn't say plenty. I, I don't know the exact amount. But there were third and threes throughout the game. There were third and fours throughout the game. Third and manageables throughout the game. Just Tennessee had a, had a very tough time converting those. And again, I think just for a second straight week, when you kind of combine these two facets of you have trouble taking your opposition off the field, and you have problems sustaining your offense on the field, when you combine those things, it's going to be really tough. And then you add in, a, a, obviously, the nation's top-ranked team like Georgia, uh, and that's going to make for a lopsided night. Yeah, I mean, I'll run back. I feel like I've probably said this every podcast we've done all football season, talking about a game, line of scrimmage and quarterback play. And that's you see that in the down and distances you can get to and uh, the play calls you can run. Third and three, Tennessee's not going to be able to run the ball against Georgia and get it. And they yeah. don't have a quarterback that they trust to do a lot of uh, the reads and passing plays to convert at the rate that you'd want, and then the same thing—you get in the third and long. You got to be able to protect long enough. You got to be able to rush the passer. Tennessee's pass rush obviously has been good this season. Georgia's offensive line incredibly stout. Georgia's quarterback play a lot better than Tennessee's. Um, and to me, that's when you look at the third down as a whole. To me, that's kind of what stands out. But 
Tennessee's defense compared to Georgia's offense on, on those third downs, exact same formula that it was for Missouri last week. They just got into third and manageable. Carson Beck made a couple plays on the run, made a couple. Yeah, a couple scrambles. Couple, yeah. some, couple, maybe not you know super easy throws, but just you know you get into third and three and you have a, a good quarterback that you, you trust. It's it makes it a lot easier. And I thought Georgia just stayed on script. Uh, I will say um, the. The comparison to Missouri is a great one to make about the third down conversions for Tennessee's defense giving them up, but the Missouri ones were more of pull your hair out type conversions. Oh, 100%. Like, just yeah. the sure, play, sure. the play good, kept going. Good back, backbreaking. Brady could, yes, that's a great There was one, one backbreaking Georgia conversion today. And it was a Carson Beck run, the one I'm thinking of. Well, that one too. I was thinking of the third and 12 uh, back shoulder throw, and Nico Slaughter had pretty good coverage. I think the Dylan Bell there. Gotcha. I think Georgia's first touchdown drive in the second half, maybe. Yeah, and it was right here on the or Tennessee maybe, side. Or maybe late second quarter. Um, yeah, the, scr- the one where he scrambled and Caleb Perry kind of hit him, but it couldn't bring him down, and he stumbled for first down. Is that the yeah. one you're thinking of? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that and, one was kind of it was a too. third and three too, and he barely got there yeah, third and three, four, or something yeah. like that. Because he got hit like a yard past the line, and yeah. he kind of just bumbled and stumbled <laughs> right. for the first down. But, bumbled um, and stumbled. But I mean, twenty of thirty, Missouri and Georgia combined these past two weeks on third down. Yeah, not gonna win many games when you're like that defensively. Yeah, no. Guys, one of the other takeaways I had, especially coming out of the press conference right there that all three of us did sit in, is just kind of the the reminder that, man, these last two games have been tough for Tennessee, but really throughout SEC play, they've had a tough time scoring points. And, and, you know, we've certainly given plenty of reasons throughout the year about why we think that. And kind of one of the new things that Tennessee is dealing with right now is injuries. But, you know, as Joe Milton kind of alluded to after the game, and, and I would, you know, include himself in this, but... You know, Tennessee needs execution from the players on the field, no matter who it is. You know, there's got to be a little bit more execution. And I, and again, I, you know, I know for me, just kind of going through all this post-game work, I'm trying to keep that balance, right, of figuring out where Tennessee has been deficient, but then also balancing that against, this is a really impressive team. This isn't a game that Tennessee, you know, was expecting to win or anything like that, uh, but, but certainly kind of two sides of the same coin for this game. Well, I, I just think you look at Tennessee wasn't able to get in any sort of rhythm, and, and you know, you expect at least a couple of drives here and there to where they they were able to piece some things together. I didn't think Tennessee was going to be able to stop Georgia, so that was not a huge shock to me. But the offense being that inept tonight, again, you know, 17 points in the last two games, it's just not good. No, I mean, the offense, it's, it's the biggest problem. I mean, I feel like there's probably more talk around the defense. Or maybe there's not, but there's probably talk around both. But uh, the offense <laughs> there's is... talk about the quarterback when it comes yeah, to the no, offense. Yeah, I mean, the offense is just inexcusably bad. Uh, you, you're just not going to win playing the way Tennessee wants to play and with the tempo and all that stuff you're just not going to win many games when your offense is as bad as it's been the last few weeks and you know the injuries don't help but personally I thought the offense tackles held up pretty well tonight given the fact that they were playing Georgia the receiving core wasn't very good you know wasn't performing very well even when Brew McCoy and Dante Thornton were out there it's just it's a lot of issues on that side of the ball and you know one thing I will say and there's, you know, this wasn't the end-all, be-all. You know, Jalen Wright goes for 75 yards on the first play of the game. He had th- two or three more carries the rest of the first half. Yeah. The commitment to splitting carries with the backs, it's just been, to me, over the top. Uh, Jalen Wright's the best player on the offense. He's got to touch the ball more than nine times in this game, and especially when he goes for 75 yards on the first play of the game. It actually gives you a boost. So, again, there's the running back rotation is far from the biggest issue with the offense, but... Another thing that uh, I just kind of was puzzled by tonight. Yeah, and I'll add another thing about early on in the game. Uh, I said Wednesday or Thursday that you know Tennessee can't afford to fall down two scores, especially in the first half. They, they just aren't going to come back and win. 
and they fell down 17-7 to in the second quarter. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. But you score on the first drive like that. Then you hold Georgia to a field goal. Granted, it was their fault, but, you know, 7-3, to get the ball back. Third, Then you have third and three, and you throw it short of the sticks in a flat for no gain. And that's just so – it's so huge early in the game to – to send a message and to to just move the ball well and you know put points on the board and yeah they had the first play but I just didn't like how they played after that at all. Yeah, you know I, I almost felt like coming out of that first drive, if you're the Georgia defense, you know when Tennessee goes three and out over those next two times, you can say okay they got lucky once, but now we are we are stepping we're up. In now charge. we're kind of setting yeah. the tone. We're in charge of this thing going forward. And so you're right. I I, I did feel like those two three and outs were were deflating coming out of it. Uh, Ryan, other kind of uh, thoughts or takeaways from this game from your side of things? Well, I'll just I'll go right off that same point. You know, the one part of the game where I was like, okay, maybe Tennessee does have a chance to turn this thing back into a competitive game was after that opening drive second half. Georgia has a third down drop, punched it back to Tennessee. It's like, That's okay, right. you go down, get a touchdown here. It's not like you're thinking Tennessee's going to win, but there's a path to making it a competitive game. Immediate three and out. I think they lost a yard or two on the drive. It just... Again, just no sort of rhythm. I mean, I just looking at the final stats here, I didn't see it. I mean, Tennessee had 277 yards in this game. It's 75 yards on the first play. I mean, they had this what? So two, they had 200 two yards the, plays. the rest of the game. What's 202 the yards on the final 54 plays of the game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really bad. I mean, I get Georgia's defense fantastic, but that's that's yeah. that's pretty pretty appalling or eye-opening, whatever word you want to use. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, where else? Where else do we go from here, Nico? Sad, uh, another sad kick from Josh Heupel. Yes, Josh Heupel is so why? addicted to the sad. Yeah, these, these, that was a fifty-five yarder to make it a twenty-five point game. Let's say Tennessee scores miraculously <laughs> three times. They go for the two on each, eight, sixteen, twenty-four. Like you're still down at that There's point. No I, I just, I didn't get it, and. and I'll tell you what, that was one of the times I wasn't really looking too much, but I felt like that was one of the times where social media just lost their, their absolute mind over that one. But it, it was a head-scratcher for sure. Yeah, I think I mean, Blake Topmeyer had a great tweet, and he was sitting right next to us, so I'm not going to lie. Kind of, you know, my, my wandering eyes kind of looked over and saw him as he was typing it out, but it was a pretty good tweet. It was like, uh, kicking a 55-yard field goal to make it a 25-point game is a, it's a decision. It's not a good decision. But it's at least a decision. I mean, a real head-scratcher on that yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, it almost has, like, the Steve Spurrier vibe where I think one time, and he's, a, he's maybe, I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but I think it was one time, like, he sent out his punt unit on third down because he was so disgusted watching his <laughs> offense. That's what it feels like. It feels like Josh Hyde was just yeah. disgusted watching his offense, and he's sending the field goal unit out there. But, yeah, I mean, obviously that's not, didn't make any sort of impact in the game. But Only it, three combined fourth down attempts in this game. Georgia misses their only one. Tennessee goes one of two. Yeah, and Georgia's was with Brock Vandekerf at the very end. Yeah, I guess they did, he did get sacked. But yeah. yeah. Not, not uh, like a meaningful game. Backup quarterback came in? Yeah. I was the very end. making Last my drive. way. It took me forever to get down to the field with a couple minutes left. Probably so a lot of people leaving even, at the same time. There were a lot of people leaving. I'll tell you what. I, I, I was able to look outside with about five or six minutes left on the clock. And the uh, what is the street right out here that runs parallel? Philip Fulmer Way? A lot of people on Philip Fulmer Way. That is for sure. A lot of people were flooding the streets. Um, I don't have a, yeah, a, a Nico, ton more. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got to talk about Nico a little bit. Just because it's, it's what's on social media right now. Everyone's calling for Nico to get some time now that you're staring 8-4 and four in the face, right? But, I mean, it feels like they're going to redshirt him at this point. Well, you can play in these next two games and still redshirt him. because. 
Yeah, the bowl new, game. Bowl game does not count. Bowl game does not count. They changed that rule, I think, last year because of like opt outs. Uh, you know, they so didn't want to be have, not need, playing players yeah. in bowl games that teams you needed need because you were planning play. on redshirting them. So it's three games. So he's played four games. It's four games so plus a bowl game. So he's played in Virginia, UConn, UTSA. Play yes. against UTSA. Yes. And then did. this would be four. Yeah. Well, he's, he can play the rest of the way, and they can still redshirt him. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense why he didn't play. I mean, I know the. Natural instinct is he's not going to be here five years. So, you know, why does it, why does it matter? I tend to agree with that take, but you know, you can you can never guarantee that. You know, injuries happen. It's never a complete sure sure thing for that. Um, you know, I would put him in a halftime if you're trying to win. And but that's not from a getting of experience standpoint. That's from a you Joe Mill is not working. Yeah, and, yeah. I don't feel know. like they have the path yeah. to success. And maybe Nico, it, it doesn't flip it, but you got to try something. You're, if you're trying to win the game and you're searching for, you can't, you can't move the ball in the first half, and your passing game is non-existent. Now, I don't think you just throw him in for two drives in fourth quarter. I guess is what you know. Okay. Just to get him experience, because well, then you burn the red shirt. Um, but yeah, there's to me, there's no excuse to not play him from here on out. Nico should get. So you think he should start next? Yeah, week? he should start next weekend. He should start the bowl game. There's, to me, no. No point otherwise. There's no argument otherwise to start Joe Milton. But you don't think that'll happen? I would. If you, you what, know, what's your what's your inkling? My inkling is that they won't do it, but I wouldn't say that it's an impossibility. Right. Like I, I, I would have been much more surprised to have seen him. Like when I, I tweeted out for halftime that Nico should play to start the second half. I, had no, I was like, that's not gonna happen. That's just what I think should happen. Yeah. I 100% think he should play be the starter against Vanderbilt. You know, I don't know if it'll happen. I'm not super confident it'll happen, but I don't have like this stuff. There's no way they're going to do that. I don't. I just don't see how you can sit down and look at it logically and not play them. I, I really don't at this point. Yeah, and again, it's not like Tennessee has a has a daunting challenge or anything coming up next week in the bowl game that you you feel like you maybe got to make that quarterback switch in order to win. But I think you're right. I, I think at this point, you know that this ship right here has sailed. The 2023 season, 2023 season has sailed. You're gonna end it probably eight and four, maybe nine and four, maybe eight and five. I, I don't, you know, depending on what the bowl game. Math. Thank you. That's the second time I've done. <laughs> this guy is good, man. This guy is good. The math major. I'm not saying it. You're saying. Yeah. It. No, I am. Thank saying you. It. Thank you. Um. So yeah. So I. I. I, I, I can't reality, remember where I was going, but yes, like it, it, They don't. They don't need. The reality is, they started Joe sailed. Milton against Vanderbilt last year, and he handed the ball off fifty times, and yeah. they won by they yeah. won by forty nine points. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they can go six. out there and put literally nothing on Nico, and that's what the, that's also that's what they put on Joe Milton. They put nothing on Joe Milton's shoulders. <laughs> this is a coaching staff that has such little confidence in their quarterback, and it, it seems like the idea of replacing him is just like not not a possibility like it's it's so bizarre like nico can't handle it well you're not putting anything on joe milton yeah. so how can nico yeah. not handle it and and obviously this i don't this obviously probably doesn't play any sort of part into josh eichel's decision making nor do i think it should but you know the season is has pr- been a disappointment yeah i think eight and four is a disappointment eight and, and four with the way they've lost you all, yeah I'll, if I'll, you just play nico the next two games like the fans all will be he plays well given yeah probably I don't know if it'll be all be forgiven, but the vibes going into the offseason will be a lot better. Yeah. So much excitement better. for yeah. next season, yeah. and and I just think that's a something you want from your program to end a year. Maybe this is a conversation for a different day. Maybe we do this on Thursday because there won't probably well, be Thanksgiving too much. Thursday, so we're probably that's, not going to do that. It is at least the twentieth time I've done. It. I've scheduled <laughs> something for Thursday and it being on Halloween. 
if we do a podcast this week, there's not going to be maybe too much to kind of preview about Vanderbilt coming up. So maybe we expand this conversation a little bit more. I've kind of got to think a little bit harder about this decision. But I, I was asked on the radio, do you think 8-4 and four is a disappointing season? And I said, no. On the surface, no. I agree with your point. I think the way that Tennessee has lost has been very disappointing. The fact that the four losses have not been competitive. But I don't necessarily think 8-4 and four is disappointing. I think that A... There are a lot of other teams out there that would sell their soul for 8-4. and four. Now, granted, that's not always a measuring stick by any means because it, it matters about your own expectations in comparison. I realize that 8-4 and four is a two-game drop, but I also think, it, you know, right, you, you talked about this whole season about kind of quarterback play. Quarterback play just hasn't been good this year, right? So going 8-4 and four with this team, the floor loss was a disappointing one, but Missouri's clearly better. Alabama's clearly better. Georgia's clearly better, right? I, I think that besides that Florida loss, like that's – that is very disappointing, but I don't necessarily sit here at 8-4 and four and think that it's a disappointing season. Again, maybe I've got to think about this well, a little bit longer, but I don't know, just a, just a thought that I had last week and started spinning through my head today. Well, as far as margins of defeat go, the worst two in the hype layer have happened the last two weeks, so that's one thing. That, yeah. uh, the offense has regressed way more than anyone thought it would. Um, you lose to Florida, who probably isn't going to make a bowl game, and if they do, it's only because Jordan Travis got hurt. Yeah, I, I, and the SEC was down, too. So, Bad SEC. And you couldn't Bad. even be remotely competitive against Georgia. You got run off the field in the second half against Bama after punching them in the mouth early. They're not even a second-class SEC team, which is what we thought for most of the season. They're not in that same category with yeah. Missouri and Ole Miss. Yeah. I, mean, I, I would say 8-4 and four is... Well, you just had a really good point. Maybe 8-4 and four of a record isn't too disappointing, but when you kind of realize that, yeah, it, you were 8-4, and four, but you weren't competitive in the terms of the SEC, especially in a down year, maybe that's where kind of that disappointment comes in. Sorry, I Yeah, I'd say 8-4 and four on its surface to me is disappointing, not massively disappointing, the way they were 8-4 and four and how they could not respond to any adversity, got blown out in their four losses, lost to a terrible Florida team uh, on the road, couldn't get that monkey off your back end. Uh, look, the reality of the situation is, I mean, this might be a hard thing for people to hear, this Tennessee team was a lot closer to a 6-6 six and six football team this year than they were a 9-3 one. That's right. They could have yeah. easily lost to the Texas A&M game. They could have easily lost to Kentucky game. And they were not particularly close to winning any of the games they lost. The Alabama game, I guess you could say they were relatively close because they had to lead at halftime, and they let it get away. And you said this thing about the quarterback play being bad in you know, I think that maybe should have altered people's expectations in the middle of the season. But that's not it. I mean, it's year three, man. It's yeah. you, you, Josh Heupel and his staff are the ones that decided to not go out and get one of the billion quarterbacks in the transfer portal this offseason. Right. They're the ones that decided they were going to ride with Joe Milton. And Joe Milton's been a complete, you know, his play has been a complete failure and a big reason why this team's not, team has struggled. And that falls on the coaches. The coaches decide they were going to ride with them. The, it's the exact same thing that happened with Butch Jones kept on tr trotting Jarrett Garantano out there year after year to be a starting quarterback. Everybody got mad at Jarrett Garantano, and he took a lot of unfair and mean hate from people because of it. Yeah. When it was Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt was the one who put him in that position. JG shouldn't have been in that position. And, you know, it was a gamble. I mean, it's not like I was sitting here at the beginning of the year saying, oh, you can't start Joe Milton, so I'm not just going to kill Josh Heupel over it. But I did say he should have gone and gotten a transfer quarterback and had another option besides a true yeah. freshman, right. and he didn't do it. He put all his eggs in the Joe Milton basket, and clearly that was a, a very bad decision. And yeah. also, I mean, this team was a meltdown in Columbia away from a, being a college football playoff team. Like, yes. Literally, they were going to make it if they win that game. And then you had six pe uh, players get drafted. 
Only six. It's not even that much. And only one first rounder. Yeah. And then you regress this much. I, I think it, that's a thing you can look to, and it's a big disappointment. Really interesting conversation. Uh, again, I'd I like to dive into it a little bit yeah. more, maybe coming up later in the week and, and start it there and finish it off later on. But otherwise, uh, guys, I, I think we pretty much hit the nail on the head. Any, any other kind of uh, thoughts or, or any other kind of directions that you want to take this real quick as we wrap it up? No, I mean, I, definitely a conversation for another day to expand on, talk about it more. Maybe Jack and I's position soften if we're not, you know, sitting here two hours after a, a really, really bad performance. You know, that's possible. But, no, I I think we kind of hit all of it. And, you know, the thing is now 8-4 and four is, a dis- you know, a disappointment, I think. 7-5 is a disaster. you got to go out and take care Agreed. of you got to go out and take care of business against <laughs> Vanderbilt next week. Yeah. And that shouldn't be hard to do. Vanderbilt's <laughs> really bad. Again, I imagine Tennessee would go out and hand the ball off every play next next week and win. Uh, but you do that, you know, when you look back out in three years, eight and fours, you know, respectable by, by means. They didn't let the bottom fall off, uh, but certainly a lot of a big step back for this program this year. And it's going to lead to a fascinating December uh, with transfer portal and uh, staff changes. An interesting December, an interesting conversation right here, but maybe not the most interesting game on the field no. as, again, <laughs> Tennessee falls to number one Georgia by a score of 38 to 10 right here in Neyland Stadium. Tennessee's 14 as I stare over there at the Eric Berry 14 circle that's that's on the 25-yard line. Tennessee's 14-game home win streak snapped by the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, that was their last loss previously as well back in the 2021 season as well. So certainly Tennessee just finding unfortunate luck right here in the middle of Georgia's dominant era uh, of the last couple years. Uh, but, guys, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Jack, thumbs up. Good to go. Yeah, just one last question for me. Does, does Georgia three-peat? Yes. If, if you're telling me Georgia versus the field, I'm not even hesitating. I'm hesitating Georgia versus the field. If it's pick who's most likely, I'm not hesitating it's Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I, I would – I think I would take Georgia over the field. I, I just I, – I will They've not – They've gotten a lot – I mean, Beck kudos is that good. I will not bet against Georgia in the months of November or December. I just I, – I refuse. Yeah, I mean, I said it down on the field during our stand-up, but Josh Lyle talks a lot about the importance of you have to keep on getting better over the course of the year. I think it is an incredible testament to that Georgia coaching staff the, how much better this football team has gotten over the course of the season. Super easy to be, be like, well, you're – trotting out 25 stars out there you have more talent than everybody and that is a hundred percent the most important thing in college football that is why george has been as dominant as they have yeah uh, but you can't watch what george has done over the course of this regular season and not come away really impressed with the coaching too and, and how much better this team this georgia team's gotten it's it's been pretty impressive it's a completely it, different team than the one that yeah. needed Brock Bowers to bail them out to beat a, an Auburn team that lost to New Mexico State tonight. Back <laughs> yeah, I said that in my prediction as well. I was like, look, I don't care. I don't care that they almost lost, or I don't care that they let Vanderbilt have a cup of coffee in Nashville. I, I couldn't <laughs> care less. This is this is this is November football. But guys, we have uh, we have a lot more to get to tonight. We, uh, Ron and I talked about this a little bit on the press pass stand up, uh, but. We will have Georgia game coverage this weekend. Still a lot more to get to on Sunday. Then the middle of the week, it's a lot of basketball coming up. Tennessee playing in the Miami, uh, not Miami, Maui Invitational. Maui. Thank you. You got my M cities mixed up. Uh, the Maui Invitational, that's going to be going on Monday, Tuesday, and then possibly Wednesday. Definitively uh, Wednesday. Oh, definitively Wednesday. Unless they lose their first two games, I think that game's on Thursday. Okay. 
So, but if they win one of their first two, it's Wednesday. Okay, there you go. So a lot of basketball coming up here in the middle of the week. We will have you covered over on Rocky Top Insider for that. And then, of course, we will all be back here in, in Knoxville for Tennessee's regular season finale against Vanderbilt right here in Neyland Stadium. So make sure you're checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day as we continue to bring you the best Tennessee news notes and coverage around Jack Foster, if you want to go and follow him on Twitter, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. If you want to follow Ryan Shumpert, you can do that at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. And if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But of course, make sure you're going and checking out at Rocky Top Insider on all different social media platforms. Wherever you are, we will have you covered there too. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to a little bit of an extended Rocky Top Insider postgame show today as we wrap up number one Georgia defeating Tennessee by a score of 38 to 10 right here in Knoxville. We'll see you back for the next one. Thanks so much for listening.